you don't have to look too far out of the mainstream to pick up that there is an agenda here to vaccinate the entire human population for a virus that even if you believe it exists is negligible in its effect on the vast overwhelming majority of people and uh, i say it doesn't exist at all in the form that we're being told i'm luke story For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Blue Blocks. These guys are changing the game when it comes to blue blocking eyewear. They've got a complete range of evidence-backed blue light blocking glasses to suit your every need, all different shapes and sizes. But what's even cooler is they now do prescription and reading glasses with their world-renowned blue blocking lenses. Simply upload your prescription at checkout and they do the rest. Blue Blocks also offers a really epic send in your own frame service. So you can send in some old sunglass frames that you like and they will turn those into blue blockers. You can find all of this at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. So if you want to protect your eyes, your sleep, your melatonin, your brain, be seen perfectly into your old age, you definitely want to get some Blue Blocks, all right? While you're there, make sure to pick up a Remedy Sleep Mask. Did you know that light hitting your eyes even when they're closed is enough to raise your blood sugar levels and suppress melatonin. Yeah, that's right. You know when you're in a hotel and like light just sneaks in from everywhere? You can fix that with the Remedy Sleep Mask. It's got zero eye pressure. It's super comfortable. It's really well designed, very high quality. You can get all of that over at blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off. That's blueblocks.com. When I'm looking at a supplement, there are two categories that I want to cover. One is something that gives me energy, mental clarity, makes me good on the mic, makes me a little bit smarter. This is where the nootropics come in. Then on the other spectrum, sometimes I want to calm down. I want to get a good night's sleep. And that's why I love today's sponsor, Cured Nutrition, that mix all of these adaptogenic herbs, medicinal mushrooms, and CBD in their various products that can give you a lift or can knock your ass down if that's what you're going for. I'm talking about Cured Nutrition, one of my favorite brands. In addition to just making such a wide variety of innovative, cool products, they're also very transparent. This is a mom and pop kind of corporation here. You know what I'm saying? Like you can go on their website and find out everything and anything you wanna know about their whole production process, the sourcing of every ingredient. They have very high integrity. And they also test all of their products for any funky stuff that might sneak through the cracks at some of your other supplement companies. So I'm a huge fan of Cured Nutrition. I'd love for you guys to get over there and check them out. You can find them at curednutrition.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off. Again, the website is curednutrition.com. And I would start with the Rise Nootropic Blend, which is a great way to kind of wake up the brain, and then the Zen Nighttime Blend, which calms you down and helps you sleep. That's curednutrition.com. 
Fasten your seatbelts, folks, and get ready for episode 286 of the Lifestylist podcast featuring our guest, David Icke. Despite having been a follower of the work of our guest David for the past two decades, it took some careful consideration on my behalf when not only inviting him on, but also in doing my best to set the tone of a conversation that would ultimately be positive and constructive. In a time of great confusion, social and political division, I took a risk in having such a potentially controversial guest on the podcast. As indicated by David during the interview, the only way through this most challenging of times is by each of us truly embracing unconditional love, unity, and compassion for our fellow earth dwellers. The challenge in addressing some topics that involve the implication of malintent and even evil by not only the world system at large, but also of notable individuals in positions of power and prominence. It can be quite jarring and potentially divisive to call out the wrongdoing of others whom by many are considered honest, respectable leaders and citizens. The painful cognitive dissonance or even anger some of us are likely to experience when being challenged to question our very reality is something that must be given careful consideration when choosing to give a platform to someone with a potentially polarized point of view. Yet at the same time, from my perspective, with so much propaganda and misinformation being forced upon us by the corporate media, I have to acknowledge the fact that the true controversy might not be in stepping outside of the collective, commonly held belief system many desperately cling to, but rather that the true controversy lies in the obviously false narrative that we are all expected to unquestioningly go along with. So many of us feel in our hearts that the story around COVID and the resulting reaction by the media and world government doesn't add up. We might not know what is truly going on, but many of us, myself included, have to admit that something just doesn't seem right. And it goes without saying that the damage being caused to so many people due to the economic destruction and widespread public panic unfolding as a result of the reaction to the virus is unprecedented in human history. Not to mention the loss of lives that have resulted due to suicide. And the lack of proper medical care to people with other life-threatening illnesses who have been subjugated as a result. It's my objective in presenting the views in this episode to open the hearts and minds of those who have not yet questioned the official story of COVID-19 to the possibility that we might be, and quite likely are, and have been for a very long time, misled. No one, including I, you, or our guest David, can say for certain what is going on in the world at this moment. But I do believe that if we apply some non-attached, rational, critical thought, we might well arrive at the realization that our reality of the current challenges differs vastly from that which we are being led to believe. In presenting this conversation to you, I firmly encourage you to keep an open mind. A truly open mind is one that is driven by humility and is able not only to consider new ideas which threaten its framework of reality, but also one that is willing to discard old ideas, concepts, and beliefs once held dear, but have proven themselves to be false or outdated. Let your heart and highest intuition be your guide as David Icke explores his take on the situation and the way out of the human bondage we find ourselves in at this unprecedented time in human history. Here are a few of the topics we discuss in this controversial conversation. The time I saw him speak in 2008, and the fact that so many of his 30-year-old conspiracy theories turned out to not be theories at all, but rather prophecy of sorts, as many of his predictions have indeed unfolded. How he has withstood 30 years of ridicule, persecution, and unprecedented censorship. My view that fundamentally David's role has not been that of a conspiracy theorist, but rather a teacher of metaphysics. The spiritual message behind his book, Infinite Love is the Only Truth, Everything Else is an Illusion. His 2003 ayahuasca retreat and how it expanded his view of reality. 
the nature of consciousness and the true meaning of evil, his thoughts on the Matrix films, the untruths and indiscrepancies of the official COVID narrative, the role of Bill Gates as a public figure and his very dark past. Who is the cult that David claims run the world and why do they perpetuate manipulation and harm on the human population? Whether he believes Trump is part of this cult or a true system outsider. Why the system is so afraid of his message and works so hard to silence him if what he's saying is not true. How we can affect positive change without getting weakened by anger and fear. And finally, most importantly, how cultivating and expressing the power of love is the ultimate solution and how it can overcome the darkest of times. Be advised as you make your way through this fascinating and potentially reality-shattering conversation that we're all in this together, and regardless of what the ultimate truth is behind this current worldwide crisis, the one truth that will surely see us through is unity and the desire to raise our individual and, as a result, collective consciousness. I encourage you to be brave and share this important conversation far and wide before it gets censored for daring to question the powers that appear to be in charge. Here's to the Great Awakening. Now's your chance to rise above and become free. David Icke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Man, it's really, uh, it's so funny for me to be sitting here looking at you, talking to you as someone who's been uh, taking in your work since probably 2000 or shortly after, and now seeing your sort of meteoric rise in popularity and awareness, uh, which is a very good sign. And what I find funny is that over the years, I think from the outside, um, those that have been skeptical or even critical of your work and perspective have labeled you permanently what's called a conspiracy theorist. But going back over the 30 years of your work, I, I would venture so far to say, and I'm not trying to kiss your ass here, but because so many of the things that you projected are now unfolding before us as really more of a prophetic approach than one of a conspiracy theorist. Uh, you know, things that used to sound completely insane that you would talk about are now just very obviously in front of us. And so it's uh, it's really fun to kind of meet you at this point on the other side of some of that ridicule. But at the same time, it's also uh, somewhat terrifying that so much of what you've talked about has come true also. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the good news is he was right. The bad news is he was right. So um, yeah. I thought we might start perhaps from the context of some of your earlier work. And you know, this is going back to, I think the last time I saw you spoke was in LA in 2008 and uh, taking in books like Children of the Matrix and specifically Infinite Love is the Only Truth, Everything Else is Illusion. And I've always seen your work from really more of a metaphysical point of view. So I thought you might just briefly kind of lay out how you arrived at your wor worldview and where some of these abilities to perceive what's going on uh, in a way that many other people don't came from. Ooh, that's a long story. Um, we have a lot to cover, probably, like I said. Yeah, but, um, well, first of all, if you can uncover a plan being orchestrated from the shadows to transform human society, and you can uncover the sequence of events and where it's meant to lead. And then you communicate that. Well, unless something intervenes 
to stop that plan unfolding, you are in effect, by exposing the plan, predicting the future. The whole point of what I've been doing for 30 years and still am doing and will go on doing is to alert enough people so there is an intervention. And we are in a a position of danger, very great danger, from the point of view of human freedom. But it's also a position of great opportunity because what has happened um, in the last uh, few months over this um, coronavirus, what I would call a hoax, and um, the lockdowns and the draconian impositions all over the world, is that a lot of people, a lot of people who would not look at the world from a different angle before are starting to do so. See, what I've had thrown at me all the way through this 30 years is that a few people can't control the world. So what you're saying is ridiculous. But what we've had in the last um, two months or so is a handful of people, comparatively to the global population, putting billions of people under, in effect, house arrest. So the idea that a few can't control the many, that, well, that's gone. It's not gone in the minds of, of lots of people who are what I call press enter people who will simply just buy anything they're told by authority. But a, an enormously greater number, I've realized that actually a few people can control the lives of uh, billions. And it happens through acquiescence and through fear of consequences. So there's two types of mentality that have conceded themselves to lockdown. One is that which has been persuaded that it is under enormous danger from this uh, alleged virus. But when you look at the numbers, percentages, um, the, the numbers are tiny and concentrated in one basic uh, age group. And there's a reason for that, which we may come to. And so the lethal nature of this alleged virus that's been sold to people is a fantasy. The figures show it's a fantasy. And if you believe it, that it exists, it's a fantasy. But the perceptual programming that's gone on, because that's what the whole conspiracy is about, manipulating the perceptions of the population so we behave the way the few want, uh, has been that it is dangerous to you know, humanity. And thus they've gone under lockdown because they fear the consequences of not doing so. They put the masks on, which are bloody useless because even if there were viral particles, they're much smaller than the pores in the mask. But they do that because they fear the consequences. And basically what this global cult, as I call it, has done to those, that group of people, vast group of people, is to activate their survival mechanism, to activate um, the, basically the, the fight or flight mechanism of human survival and other mechanisms of human survival, which basically creates a mentality that says, I must do anything to survive. So um, I will agree to draconian lockdowns and fascistic lockdowns because I am persuaded that I have a better chance of survival if I do that. 
I will do anything these few in dark suits tell me because I'm persuaded that I've got more chance of survival if I do that. And by the way, I will also turn against those um, who uh, are not buying the, the story because my perception is they are putting my survival in danger by what they're doing. So that group of people have um, acquiesced on that basis. Then there's another group of people who realize there's something not right here. It, make, it makes no sense. The story makes no sense. It's full of holes. It's full of contradictions. But then they think of consequences of, but if I challenge it, what are the consequences for me of challenging it? So they acquiesce on the basis of that. And what you've got is two groups of people who are acquiescing because of perceived consequences. And if you uh, constantly look at consequences for actions, then invariably you will not do um, what needs to be done because the consequences will persuade you uh, not to do it. So the head and the gut, emotion, are constantly looking at consequences. Um, what, what happens if I do this? Well, if you come from another point of observing the world, I call it the heart, well, you, you do what you know to be right. You do what you believe to be right, and you don't consider the consequences of doing it. Because to consider the consequences is to consider not doing what you know and believe to be right, and that will never do that. And if we came at this from a heart point of view, and people talk about the heart and love, but it, it's far more than that. First of all, it's, not, it's, it's what we call love in this sense. is far greater than you know, a, a, a physical attraction. It's, it's something immensely greater. But also through the heart comes innate intelligence. This is why when people um, intuitively know something, they say, I know, I know. When they're trying to work something out with, with their head through thought, they go, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. The, the body language shows you the different points from which these different points of observation uh, and perspective are coming from. So when you come from, from the heart, you're accessing higher, more expanded levels of consciousness. And anyone can do it. It's not, you know, you don't sit cross-legged on a mountain. I'm the guru. Anyone could do it. It's just a choice. And you get innate intelligence. You see through things. You see, you see panoramas instead of just dots. So what appears to be bewildering dots of happenings, what's happening? What's going on? What's, what's all this about? The heart, from this greater perspective of consciousness, can see how the dots connect, can see the panorama, it can see the picture instead of just the pixels. And by opening the heart, you are um, entering levels of consciousness that are beyond the the incredibly limited band of frequency that we call the world. Because, um, you know, people look through their eyes and you say to them, can you see everything that exists in the space you're looking at? And they'll say, yeah, but they can't. They're only looking at a tiny, laughable, narrow band of frequency 
called visible light. Um, uh, according to uh, mainstream science, uh, uh, or many mainstream scientists, the um, electromagnetic spectrum is 0.005% of what exists in the universe, and visible light is only a smear of the 0.005%. So we are basically in a narrow band, like a, like a television channel. And all the other television channels exist in the same space, but we're only aware of this one. So if you get caught only in five-sense perception, can I see it, touch it, hear it, taste it, oh, it exists then, then you're actually uh, perceiving the world from a very narrow perspective. And not only that, you are in the world, in the band of frequency, and you're also off the band of frequency because you're getting all your information, all your perception from within the band of frequency, the mainstream media and all, all the rest of it. And so you're, you're basically in what I call the bubble. It's a perceptual bubble. And they can be so easily manipulated by those who understand how human psychology works. But when you open the heart and you go beyond the head and beyond the gut, you start expanding your awareness into levels of consciousness that are way beyond the band of frequency that is uh, perceived by the five senses. And so you start to see the world and events in a completely different way because you're basically um, on the top of the hill looking down across the valley instead of just being, you know, in a tiny band of or tiny bubble, which is the whole scale totality of your perceptual state and um, um, what the cult wants all the time and, and the education system and, and all these forms of information are designed to do that they want to hold people in the five senses five sense perception but when you open your heart five pe uh, sense perception is only part of you now you're in the world through the five senses but you're not of the world in, in the perception, uh, the, the point of observation that you are uh, observing it. And so the world looks very different. And what happens is that those that are in that mode, and like I say, this is not sitting cross-legged on a mountain saying, I'm the guru. Anyone can do this. Anyone. It's just a choice. But when you do go into that mode of perception, then those still in the bubble call you mad, crazy, dangerous, and all of these things. And this has gone on throughout human history. If you look at religion, religions are bubbles. They are perceptual bubbles. They have rules, regulations, and walls. If you step outside of a religious bubble, you're a blasphemer, uh, etc. And all the way through human history, if you look at it, there has been a norm it might be a religious norm at one point. It might be a political norm at another point, whatever. And those norms are then policed by the population to stop anyone breaking out of them. Uh, and all the way through um, history, people have been burnt at the stake and horrific things have happened to them. And um, in the West today, instead of assassinating you, that still goes on a bit, they assassinate your character. That's the way they do it. Uh, but the thing is that when you open your heart, genuinely open your heart, 
and you connect with these expanded levels of consciousness, what people say about you, do about you, throw at you, it doesn't matter anymore. Because the, the, the abuse and the ridicule you get is simply another consequence of speaking your truth. And because um, the heart will speak its truth without considering consequences, because like I say, to consider consequences is to consider not speaking its truth, then ridicule and abuse is just another consequence. doesn't really matter. Uh, speaking your truth is what matters. And that's what I've been doing for 30 years. But what happens in the end, and I'll finish this first answer here, I don't want to go on forever. What happens in the end is that if what you're saying has validity, this is the point, then eventually it will be shown to be so. And when it does, those who've laughed at you, ridiculed you, abused you, will start to say, hold on a minute, that's what this guy said, didn't he? And it's happening. So, but if you hadn't have said it way back and over this 30 years, then this process would not be possible. So you speak your truth, you get the consequences for that. It doesn't matter to you because you speak your truth. That's all you're bothered about. And if it has validity, then eventually it will be shown to be so and we'll reach a situation that we're, on, we're in now. Beautifully stated. Thank you for that. And it reminds me of uh, my position as this all started to unfold. Speaking of this, I don't even know what to call it. I just call it the situation, you know, because uh, there's no name I think that aptly fits it because uh, it's so complex and nuanced. But when this started to unfold, people started to ask me as someone who has opinions and perspectives on things in the world, uh, what's your take on this? And I really had to stand back and wait for a moment until more information was revealed. One thing I did know as this COVID thing started to unfold and leak through the media in the very beginning uh, from China, within my heart in that place of truth and divine intuition, I knew that what we were being told wasn't fact. I didn't know what fact was, but I knew it wasn't. So I had to really just stand back. And then as I started to get more information, I was really faced with that decision that you just described of Am I willing to put my ass on the line here for what I believe to be true, or at least in the pursuit of truth from those who might have discovered it? And uh, it was a decision that I had to take quite seriously because of the consequences. But as you stated, the consequence of whoring out your integrity and pretending like you don't have a perspective or a point of view or that you haven't uncovered any truths uh, is a far greater price to pay, ultimately then speaking your mind, speaking your truth, come what may. And so uh, I honor your integrity. And I think it's very encouraging to people who sense untruth about anything and are afraid to speak out because they don't want to be the black sheep that gets called from the herd. And in the age of censorship and all of the oppression that we're facing now as content and media creators that work independently, uh, it's more important than ever now, right, that we are able to openly share points of view. So my, my question then is, if we're arriving at these truths and we're, we're wanting to share ideas freely and bounce things off one another, uh, and the channels of communication are controlled by that system at the upper levels to the point where now we're being silenced, what do you think we can do other than just individually from that heart space, but to share information freely? Do you foresee alternative technologies that aren't run by the overlords at YouTube, Facebook, etc., emerging that are viable. I know you've started a platform yourself for uncensored information. What do you see coming in terms of our ability to speak, speak freely as it's being oppressed currently? 
Well, um, they say, quite rightly, it's a wonderful phrase, um, necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, fortunately, we do have um, video channels like uh, BitChute that are non-censored. Um, you know, what I would say is, you know, if you keep speaking your truth, that is a power. It's, it's a power, and it's a power that will manifest what you need. You know, in, in, my, in my view, what we're doing all the time is creating feedback loops between our perceptions and the quantum field of possibility and probability, you know, what I call the field. The field, the energetic sea that connects us all. And if you, for instance, believe you are little me, I have no power, then every perception, every emotion, every thought is a frequency. It's a different frequency. Hate and love are very different uh, frequencies. Joy and depression are very different frequencies. This is why people say, oh, I feel so heavy today when they're feeling in a depressed or down state. Other days they think, oh, I feel so light today because they feel joyous. Uh, these are different frequencies. So we, our perceptions are a band of frequencies representing those perceptions, which we are constantly broadcasting. And if you believe that you are little me, I have no power, then you are broadcasting a very narrow, limited band of frequency representing your state of perception of I have no power, I am just little me. And so your feedback loop between your perceptions and quantum possibility will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your experience will invariably match your perceptions. See, told you, nothing ever happens to me. <laughs> I told you I had no power. And that will go on until people realize that actually what you're experiencing is just a manifestation of your perceptions. When you come from another point of view, well, let me, let me go into an intermediate one, which is, well, I'm, I'm going to take the system on. I'm going to challenge it. But to know I'm going to get all these consequences and I, I know, I, you know, in the end, I won't be able to do it. And that's the martyr complex where I'm going to I'm going to try, but I'm going to be a glorious failure. And I, I know that, the, you know, it's too powerful, but I'm going to do my best. Well, that's a feedback loop. And that feedback loop of perception to to quantum possibility is going to create a situation in which the system will crush you when you try to take it on. But when you open this and you say, I'm not David Icke, that's my experience. That's the name of my experience. What I am is all that is, has been, and ever can be having that experience and observing that experience. And I am far more powerful than the little boys and girls in short trousers who are in such a bewildered psychological state that they desire to have power over everyone else. So I'm more powerful than they are. Um, and uh, that's been shown because in recent events, because we have this cult that controls the virtual entirety of the global mainstream media. It owns Silicon Valley. It owns governments and uh, their agencies. And it, it runs the education system, all these things. 
And yet it's been running around shouting fire with its knickers in a complete twist over a guy who's putting out information that's challenging their official narrative. Now, if they had real power, then they wouldn't bother about me. They wouldn't even try to censor me. Well, irrelevant, mate. But they don't have real power because their power is the power the population they're targeting gives to them all the time in acquiescence. If we didn't acquiesce, they would have no power. Their power over us is our power we give to them. So when you come from that perspective and you know that you're more powerful than they are, then that creates a feedback loop of a very different kind. And what happens then is what you need to overcome this control will manifest in your life. See, if you look at um, what's happened to me in the last few weeks, people might think it's a negative thing. Oh, he's been banned from uh, YouTube. Okay, well, we'll find another way of doing videos. We have. Oh, he's been banned from Facebook. It was almost a relief. <laughs> does, does, anyone, does anyone think you know Facebook's worth using when it's, it's run by a psychopath who uh, has um, created uh, systematically ways to uh, manipulate the psyche and the emotions and the um, self-respect of the young of the world? I mean, really? Zuckerberg? And, and it would seem, oh, no, that's a bad thing. But what's happened is that because there's a silver lining in every cloud, people have, are looking at my work now in greater and greater numbers who would never have looked at it before because they're saying, well, hold on a minute. They've told us all this time this guy's a nutter and should be dismissed, just a freak. And yet here they are in unison. Try to silence him. What's going on? So they're having a look at the work. And, and that's been a great boon and benefit in terms of people who would not have looked at what I'm saying before, now looking at it in, in larger, larger numbers. And just because, you know, they, they knock you off this or knock you off that, this is a long game. This is not, you know, it's all going to be decided in 24 hours. This is, this is the long game. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm going to do it for a long time yet. Uh, and so there's lots of surprises coming. And um, it's uh, something that when you come from that perspective, that I'm not intimidated, I will speak my truth, and um, I am more powerful than you are, little boys and girls in short trousers, then that feedback loop with possibility and probability manifests what you need when you need it. Over the last 30 years, um, there have been times when you thought, well, it looks like it's over here. And then suddenly, bang, something comes out of nowhere. And you're on again. You're off again. And that's the point. You know, when you're in little me mode and you're, set it, you're creating this very narrow, very limited feedback loop between perceptions and experience, then your life is not terribly synchronistic. It's like, you know, nothing interesting happens to me. I'm, Every day is the same. And why? Because your, your perceptions are on such a narrow band of sense of the possible that this feedback loop is going to deliver those perceptions as experience. 
round and round and round, limited experience, nothing interesting, exciting ever happens. Nothing really synchronistic ever happens. But then what happens, and many people watching this will have experienced it, when you go through a, what people call an awakening, and what is an awakening? It's just a, a, a breaking through the programming, the perceptual programming. That's what awakening is. We're already awake, all of us. We're already uh, at points of attention within all that is, has been, and ever can be. Uh, we don't have to seek enlightenment. We are enlightened. What we have to do is remove these um, onion skins of perceptual programming that hold us in the bubble and and disconnect us from a strong influence from expanded awareness beyond it. But when you do start to uh, break out of these programs and you start to, to expand your awareness, so many times, it happened to me big time 30 years ago, suddenly you start to notice amazing synchronicities, coincidences, bumping into people. That, that we, we, what's the chances of meeting you here? Walking into information, walking into personal experiences that give you uh, greater understanding. Uh, this is what starts to happen as you expand your uh, uh, consciousness out of the, the, the program, out of the five sense bubble, because you are now interacting with possibility and probability in a much more expanded and high frequency way, just because your perceptions have changed, your self identity has changed from, you know, I am little me to I am infinite me. And suddenly you, you are interacting with such a, a, a vastly greater swathe of possibility and probability that they, that enters your life as an experience. And suddenly the possibilities of your, your life and things that happen to you expand in, in, this, in, in the same way. And this process of redefining self-identity, that's all it is, I feel. You know, people talk about, you know, you need to go on quests and you need to do this and you need to do that. Well, good luck to you if you feel that. And I'm sure it can be helpful for some people. But from my perspective, it's really much simpler than that. It's to, to start this process of awakening and consciousness expansion is simply to redefine who you are, to put down the labels of, of your sex, your color, your religion your life story, your income bracket, put those aside because they're not you. They're what you're experiencing. And what this cult has done is to manipulate the population to self-identify the I with what they're experiencing instead of the I which is having the experience, which is different. And, if, and, and so what they want us to do, because all these groups of labels that we're given and we give ourselves are all the creative um, elements of the bubble, what they want uh, people to do is to go into smaller and smaller bubbles of perception because that will be smaller and smaller feedback loops with experience and creative potential and possibility and manifestations of potential and possibility. So notice what they're doing. The I, or the perceived I, the label I, what I call phantom self, is now being constantly subdivided and subdivided and subdivided. And this list of letters, self-identity letters, LBGT and all those that go after it, are getting longer and longer and longer. And people now are 
self-identifying the I, even with their, their, their personal micro-sexuality. Okay, you are gay, all right. <laughs> and it's just an experience. It's a very limited experience in terms of, of what we call time, because, you know, in terms of, you know, how long we're here in the, in the, the human form is, is just ridiculously short. Um, and I speak as someone who's uh, just turned 68. I know how, how quickly it passes. So you're gay. So you're transgender. Well, okay. But it's just an experience. You who is transgender and you who is gay and you who is any other sexuality, you're all points of attention of the same consciousness. We're all each other. And what happens, and this is what the cult works to do, is to get us to focus and self-identify the I with an experience, and then the um, potential to divide and rule people on the, on the basis of their self-identity is endless. I mean, look at this thing now. We, we now have feminists uh, um, in conflict with transgender people. It's ridiculous. I am you, you are me. What are you doing? But that's what happens when you self-identify with labels instead of seeing them as an experience and you as the observer and experiencer. So when you come from that perspective, for instance, I don't see people uh, by their labels. I, I see them uh, as um, experiencing what those labels represent, but I see them as consciousness, the same consciousness as me having different experiences. And then you can have the diversity of experience, which is lovely, but you don't have the conflict between the diversity of experience because you realize that in the end, we're all each other, which makes racism rather stupid, rather ridiculous. And, you know, I see racism, I see it in this whole woke arena that, um, you know, you, you have to be white to be racist. You don't. Racism is a state of perceiving labels, racial labels, as the I. And lots of different racial labels can be racist from that perspective. And so you play racism off against each other. You have racial conflict. You have discrimination on the basis of race and all this idiocy. When if we just come back, I am all is, has been, and ever can be, having an experience called this race or this life story, and you, with a different label, a different race, and a different life story, are another aspect of that same consciousness that we all are. And suddenly, the war and the conflict sort of dilutes because... Why am I fighting another aspect of me? Why am I trying to get up the greasy pole and kicking and cussing another aspect of me to get there? It, it makes no sense from this point of view. It makes every sense from this point of view. And that's why this whole, um, this whole cult manipulation is to keep us in a state of, a state of believing that the labels are who we are. I think this is so key. I mean, for a number of reasons, and there's a thousand different directions I could shoot off into, but in the interest of time and wanting to 
frame something that I think will be really useful for those that are familiar with your work, perhaps not this part of it, um, and those that are unfamiliar, is that I sense, and in my own experience, as I watch what from one perspective could be, you know, the crumbling of the worldwide civilization um, in 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 the most negative sense, which is obviously being done, in, from my perspective, deliberately by those that seem to or perceive that they have the ability to do so. In that, this awareness from the observer self, that as you said, can be accessed just the moment you realize you're not your body, your name, your identity, etc or through various forms of meditation or plant medicines or anything that puts you out into the field in that state of observing, it's my coping mechanism to not be sucked into the fear that, oh my God, they're coming for me. It's the new world order. I'm going to die and they're chemtrailing me to death every day and all of this, knowing that I'm not this body, as you said, that this is just the short experience. And also finding the sort of... I don't want to say detach because that would imply not caring what happens to myself or anyone else, but an ability to observe the whole melodrama and theater of the current human experiences with the duality that's inherent to this experience. You have these evil overlords that you refer to as the cult, and we can get into that. And then you have the rest of us that are you know, conscientious, caring, empathetic, compassionate, loving people with all of our folly, but we seek to awaken and to uh, produce a positive net effect in our life experience. In that awareness seems to be the way that we can avoid the fear and be less controllable, as you indicated. And where I often uh, find this difficult is because it pisses me off that people are being harmed and that I could potentially be harmed. And it's like, I also know that using fear and anger as an emotional standpoint to produce change is ineffective because then you're hitting force with force, wherein the real power, as you indicated, is is really in that heart-centered knowingness of who and what you are. So it's like, how can we affect change and spread awareness and become you know, aware at, at sometimes shocking levels of how things really work without succumbing to that fear or just hopelessness of like, God, how are we ever going to overcome this behemoth? And I've observed in your work that while you do get seemingly pretty pissed off at the powers that be and you stand up for yourself and stand up for humanity as a whole, you also at times seem to take it all with a grain of salt. And I think perhaps that's an important um, part of this conversation is that we can be effective and produce change and spread awareness about these while still maintaining the world as a loose garment, so to speak. And, you know, I just kind of play with the balance of that. Like, you know, how much work do I do? How hard do I fight? And in what way do I fight? And um, I think you've just illustrated that beautifully. I'd like to... I think a big thing is you don't fight. Okay, yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, I have this phrase I've used for years, what you fight, you become. Uh, And uh, you see this all the time. You see this in anti-hate groups that walk around with, uh, hatred uh, on their face and hatred in their intent. So, you know, I mean, whenever I see an anti-hate group, I see an inversion. I see a hate group. Instead of saying anti-hate, what, you know, it's never, they're never pro-love groups, are they? They're anti-hate groups. And anti-hate is not love. It's um, another form of hate. And you see that all the time. So it's it's about how how do I achieve this end? And you know, I, I've, I've been doing this for 30 years and um, I've been through the different experiences. I've 
I've talked to people who've been horrifically treated as kids, and it has a an emotional impact upon you. Of course, it does. But as you expand your awareness, you go above that because you have empathy with what has happened. But it's important not to get pulled into it because uh, yourself, because it drains your energy and it pulls you down. It pulls your frequency down because you're so horrified by what's happened. You have such feeling of empathy for for who it's happened to. And it can pull you in and it can pull you down. So my approach, you know, for quite a time now is just, I need to do what I need to do. And that's to stay in a, a high vibrational consciousness state and not get pulled into it. So you can experience things which would have pulled you down, but no longer do. So if I'd have experienced being banned from everything 10 20 years ago, I would have responded to it in a much more down way than I have. To me now, well, okay, we'll deal with it. And it's just confirming that they're terrified of, of, of me and what I'm saying, which is uh, shows where the power dynamic lies. So, okay, let's go on from here and um, we'll, uh, we'll do it another way. And it, it means that you... You don't get you don't get pulled into low vibrational states like that. You stay in a, a way that you constantly move forward, and um, you can achieve things with this vibrational consciousness state far more than than being pulled in and um, and basically becoming the vibration that you um, you want to change. When you describe the you know, I'm again playing with time here and, and there's a couple of things I definitely want to cover, but I did want to just elaborate on the framework of your perspective of consciousness because it makes sense to me and it's aligned with what has served me. I want to dip a little bit into what I think is difficult for some people to swallow, even though they're at a point where they realize, huh, what I'm being told here on an intuitive level doesn't match up with my you know, heart-centered truth meter. Uh, when you refer to this cult, if you could briefly describe, and I know it's difficult to summarize something that's so vast and has been around so long, but perhaps even point people to other you know places on your site or other research you've done where this is all laid out. Because I, as someone, again, who's watched, I don't know, hundreds of hours of your lectures on the royal bloodlines and all of the secret societies and all of the symbolism and the history of it, which is not even your opinion, but just... So, you know, it's just historical fact of the matter. I think that people have a difficult time understanding what this cult is that you speak of. And if you could perhaps just lay that out and then we can, you know, take an overview of the plan that's being implemented through the system being rolled out now, which of course has been in the works for a long, long time. Yeah. Like I say, I, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've been doing it full time for 30 years. And uh, most of the time, it's been as it is now. I do it seven days a week. Very few days I'm not on it. And that's what it takes to uncover this because it is such a web. But in the end, the more you know, they say, the more you know there is to know. Yeah, there is truth in that. But the more you know, also, in terms of this arena, the simpler it gets. 
And so the, the, as the years have passed up to present time, I've been able to describe this whole apparently complex web in very simple terms, because in the end, it is simple. If it was too complex, it couldn't work. And one of the things that just scrambles people's minds is that um, they think that to uncover the truth of things, it has to be complex. It doesn't. Genius is not understanding complexity. It's seeing the simple in that hidden by complexity, which is a different thing. And, and so um, in the simplest of terms, a long time ago in what we call time, what we perceive as time, this uh, world was infiltrated by a non-human force. And this is described in ancient cultures all around the world. They have different names for this force uh, and different names for these gods. Uh, and because of that, people think, oh, well, they're talking about these gods and they're talking about these gods and they're talking about these gods. Well, actually, if you look at it, and I have uh, over a long period of time, they're actually describing the same things. They're different names for the same force. They're all describing this force that infiltrated human society. The uh, Gnostic people, the Gnostic uh, belief system, uh, called them archons. The um, Islamic and pre-Islamic uh, belief system calls them jinn. Christianity calls them demons. Uh, and so on and so forth, all the way around the world. I, I've talked to... Um, different carriers of ancient knowledge around the world, because I've been, I've been to 60-odd countries or more. And you, you realize they're actually all describing the same thing. And um, this infiltration force, in its prime form, is a distorted state of consciousness. Forget bodies, forget form. It's a distorted state of consciousness. And it's so distorted that it wants to have power over everything. And it is, because of its distortion, it is super evil. And um, I'll give you my definition of evil, the absence of love. Uh, and if you look at the definition of psychopath, there's a, a list of traits, they're known as the hair test, named after the man who devised them. And there are a list of traits that if you have enough of them, you are officially considered a psychopath. And right at the top of that list is no empathy, lack of empathy, no ability to put yourself in the uh, feelings and um, experience of those you are affecting. So if you have no empathy, which is the, what I call the fail-safe me mechanism of human behavior, then there are no limits because you have no emotional consequence no matter what you do. And so we're dealing with super psychopaths. Now, they operate outside of the human frequency band, and they manipulate in our frequency world via a network of um, secret societies and interbreeding bloodlines. These interbreeding bloodlines have particular, well, we, we, we would call it genetic types, but it's really information fields. They are particular information fields which is what the body is. It's an information field. But theirs are dual information fields. They're like hybrid information fields. Uh, part of that um, hybrid field manifests as human, and other parts of that 
hybrid field don't manifest as human, they manifest as something uh, that is not human. But overwhelmingly, of course, in the public arena, these bloodlines are manifesting their human field, and thus they appear to be human like everyone else, but they're not. I, I say, the more I understand this, that they're actually a form of AI, form of artificial intelligence, which makes them very clever. Like a computer is very clever in what it can do, but it's got no empathy. You know, you type data into a computer so the computer will do something. That what it does might be horrific or horrible in relation to the people who are affected by it, but the computer has got no empathy because it's AI, basically. It's artificial intelligence. So it just does what it's prompted to do. It doesn't question it. Well, what about the effect on... Doesn't doesn't question it. And these bloodlines are like that. That's why they they act as they do with, with absolutely no empathy, what they're doing now, destroying human... Uh, livelihoods and lives with this lockdown. It's because they have no empathy. They have no emotional consequence. And the theme in the Bible of the sons of God who interbred with the daughters of men and the whole hybrid Nephilim is repeated again in ancient cultures all around the world. They just keep, again, they have different names for this, these bloodlines and these infiltrators but they're describing the same force. If you look at how the, the Gnostics describe the archons, as they call them, and how the uh, Islamic uh, believers um, describe jinn, I mean, they're, they're the same. And so you've got these interbreeding bloodlines, and they manifested in the ancient world as royalty and aristocracy. The blue bloods, they call them blue bloods. Uh, and, you know, these royal and aristocratic bloodlines claim the divine right to rule. And because people have got caught in relating God to the Christian God, the divine right to rule of royalty has been considered to be the divine right of the Christian God. Actually, they're not talking about the Christian God at all. They're talking about the gods, plural. And like the the um, emperors in ancient China used to claim the right to be emperor because of their descendants from the serpent gods, as they call them. And so what you have is um, a situation where you've got this force, which in its prime form is just a distorted state of consciousness. And within our reality, there are um, bloodlines, interbreeding bloodlines. This is why royalty and arist uh, aristocracy and the Eastern establishment families of the United States, on and on and on, have always incessantly interbred with each other because they're holding this particular, what we would call genetic code, but actually it's an information field. It's a software program, if you like, if you want to bring it into that analogy. And they are there to represent the interests of this force operating outside of human sight, the human frequency band. And so the structure through which the world is controlled and through how this pandemic hoax has been played, by the way, you can understand how it's been played out and been made possible when you understand the structure. So at the center, if you imagine a web, spider's web, at the center is a spider, and that spider is the non-human force. And then the strands of the web immediately around the spider, they're the most exclusive secret societies, uh, and uh, they're the ones that are big time in the know of the whole picture, basically. And then as you come out 
from uh, the spider in the web, still in the hidden, you then start hitting the secret societies that we do know about, but don't know what goes on within them. The Knights Templar, the um, uh, Opus Dei, the inner core of the Jesuit order, the Freemasons, the Knights of Malta, and so on. And then you reach a point in the web, um, I call them, uh, I call it the cusp, and this is where the hidden meets the scene. And at that cusp are semi-secret organizations and organizations to an extent that we see in the public arena, but most people never heard of. It's like the Council on Foreign Relations in America, the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, and so on. They are known about, some more than others, but the, the, most people would not have heard of them. And what they do is certainly uh, unknown to most people who haven't researched it. And these cusp organizations take the, the agenda for the world from the spider, ultimately, which is played out through the secret society in the hidden part of the web, and they start to play it out into the seen part of the web where we are, which is playing out through governments, through government agencies, through the banking system, through the major corporations, through the major um, media, and uh, so on and so forth. And so um, in the scene, there appears to be a Silicon Valley corporations. There appears to be a World Health Organization. There appears to be governments of countries. There appear to be different banks, different major banks, different media operations. And to the public, these are all kind of unconnected, kind of random organizations. But when you realize how the web works, the Silicon Valley corporations attach to the web. I mean, at the inner core level, not the vast majority who work for them. The banks connect to the web. The World Health Organization connects to the web. Governments connect to the web. Government agencies connect to the web. The mainstream media connect to the web. All at the inner core level. Most people involved have no idea there even is a web. But what it means is that all these different things that appear to be happening randomly are actually coordinated. And basically, it works like a transnational corporation, this web. If you, if you think of a, a, a transnational corporation, McDonald's, say McDonald's, um, and you have a headquarters somewhere in the world, and then in each country, you have subsidiaries of the headquarters who behave in line with what the headquarters say must happen. So you go into a, a McDonald's in one country, just might as well be going into McDonald's in another country because it's the same, same brand, same nature, because it's centrally dictated. This web works like that. You've got the, the core, which is in the shadows, and then in the different countries, you have subsidiary networks of the web. And their job in each country is to control that country's politics, to control its medical system on behalf of the pharmaceutical cartel, which is again, another aspect of this cult web, controls the major corporations, um, owns the uh, major media, and uh, controls the banking and financial system and so on. And their job is by controlling those things in that country, they impose the will of the centrally dictated 
uh, headquarters, if you like. And thus, as I've traveled around the world over these years, I keep seeing the same things happening in different countries around the same time, justified by the same excuses, uh, because it's centrally dictated. So if you take this, um, uh, this pandemic, it started in China. Well, they call it a pandemic. World Health Organization called it a pandemic. Uh, I may differ on that um, in, in, if we um, get into the detail. But it started in China. The thing to remember about China is what I've been saying for decades, is if you want to see the West tomorrow, then look at China today. China is a major global center of this web, this spider. And it has been incubating through this period of, I'll say, fascistic, communistic, whatever you want to call it, a dictatorship. It's been incubating the, the system they want for the world. So in the West, up to this point, no longer, obviously, but up to this point, uh, they've had to pay lip service to freedom and democracy. And so they've been um, able only to move the draconian Orwellian control system slower than China. China doesn't have to move it slow at all. It's a dictatorship. This is going to happen. Do it. It happens. So they have been able to incubate this global system, what they want for the globe, this technocratic 24-7 surveillance centrally imposed system. And there it's sitting there. And what they want to do now is to play it out across the world. And it's a simple question. Um, what has the West become far more like in the last two months? China. Where do they want to uh, uh, take it even uh, deeper in these uh, coming weeks and months, deeper into what China is? So this started in China. That's terrifying. But it started in China. And, and if you look at it, this was the plan that the draconian lockdown response of China to what was alleged to be a virus, they've never shown it is a virus, they've never isolated it, and they're testing for the virus uh, with a test that doesn't test for a virus. Uh, I mean, you know, look at some of my other inter uh, interviews uh, that, that are around on this in recent months, and it's an extraordinary story. They're actually testing for COVID-19 uh, officially, but the test... PCR test doesn't test for COVID-19, uh, tests for a genetic material that many, many people have in their body. That's why so many people test positive for it. And they're not um, getting immunity for it because there's nothing to get immunity about because they're not being tested for COVID-19. Um, so if I test you and you test positive for this genetic material, which I'm calling a test for COVID-19, uh, if you isolate 14 days, as they say, and then I test you again, uh, you, you, you're going to test positive again. Why? Because you've still got the same genetic material you had. You did 14 days before. Nothing to do with the virus. These numbers are just lunacy. So won't go into it now, but I have in, in detail in, in, in other interviews. Maybe yeah, I can come back and, and, and do this bit in detail. But the key to this whole sequence that's played out was that the draconian lockdown in China to fight the virus had to be become the blueprint for the West. So immediately that happened. And the figures very pretty quickly began to fall in China. And there were reasons for that, because it's not about a virus. It's about how you diagnose the virus and what you put on the death certificate, which is different to what they actually dial. Wuhan is a, a place of notoriously toxic air, massive amounts of respiratory problems and um, 
of um, uh, pneumonia, etc. And all they were doing um, was um, re-diagnosing this, these things that, that were normally happening, COVID-19. Suddenly you've got a, a pandemic uh, simply by re-diagnosis. Anyway, what happened then is that um, Tedros, the uh, deeply corrupt um, Ethiopian director general of the World Health Organization, which is owned by Bill Gates, second biggest funder, second only to the United States. He'd probably be the biggest funder if Trump carries out his, um, his threat to, uh, to stop funding it on the same level. Anyway, Tedros comes out. China, the way China dealt with this has to be the new way that we deal with uh, pandemics and, and this pandemic uh, if it comes to the West. And of course, they knew it was coming to the West because they were going to do the same thing they did in China, which was um, take respiratory problems that were normally happening and they were going to call them COVID-19. They were going to put on the death certificate COVID-19 from, for people that died of heart attacks, died of cancer, died of um, falling down the bloody stairs. Doctors have come out and said this. In America, there are even a financial incentive where they pay uh, hospitals uh, through Medicare $4,600 if they diagnose someone regular pneumonia, $13,000 if they designate the same patient COVID-19 pneumonia, and $39,000 if they put a COVID uh, pneumonia diagnosed patient onto a ventilator. So everywhere you look, and there's enormous supporting evidence for this around the world, not least from medical professionals, that, that they're fixing the death certificates to seem as if it's COVID-19 when it's not. You know, in, in Scotland, just one example, it's actually the, the, the law, the regulation, that if someone uh, tests positive for COVID-19 with this PCR test that's not testing for COVID-19, but this genetic material, then if they die of anything within 28 days, COVID-19 has to go on the death certificate. So it, it, it was a scam. And what they, what they needed to do was take the Chinese blueprint and impose it on the West because the idea was to, to lock down the economy and destroy the independent livelihoods of vast numbers of the population to make them dependent on the state. And dependency is, of course, uh, control. And uh, if you're going to do that, you have to destroy independent livelihoods so they become dependent on you and not independent of you. And that's what's happened to vast numbers of people as a result of this lockdown. It was all coldly calculated. Why? Because these people are psychopaths and have no empathy and thus had no emotional consequence for the horrors that they've caused and all the death that they're causing from lockdowns with people not being diagnosed with things that they normally would because the hospitals, they won't go to the hospital and uh, uh, not being treated, et cetera, et cetera. So the number of people who are going to die from the lockdown is just enormous. And uh, we're focusing on this um, uh, COVID-19. So even then, China is still a long way away. It's still a different culture. You know, you're not really going to necessarily grip the perceptions of the population. What you need is something that they can, I'm talking in the West, what you need is something you can uh, get them to identify with, which like, like they are, they are. So what they chose was Italy. And the particular area they chose was northern Italy, an area known as Lombardy, which, just by coincidence, nothing to worry about, is another Wuhan in the sense that it's notorious for its toxic air and its um, considerable uh, prevalence of respiratory disease and um, pneumonia because of that. 
and they started redesignating the whole story again. And the Italian authorities have even come out after the, the die was cast and said, actually, we, the word they use, we, we, we have been rather generous on um, designating COVID-19 on death certificates. But anyway, the, 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 the way it was reported in the media was, look, this has happened in Italy. This is the West. This is coming to you next. Uh, and um, just r- at the right time, because the, the death numbers weren't, weren't being generated in other Western countries to, and, and in other parts of Italy come to that, but they weren't being generated in other Western countries to justify the lockdown. So along came um, a guy called Professor Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College in London, who is a computer modeler, one with a history of being dramatically wrong many times. And he uh, comes out with these projections. And, you know, you talk to people who who do computer modeling and they'll tell you it's the easiest thing in the world to to, to manipulate because what the computer model brings out as a projection is dependent on the data you've put in the other end. So um, he came out with these projections that um, up to half a million people could die of this in Britain and also um, up to two million people in America. And he did it for other countries as well. And the American lockdowns and the British lockdowns and other lockdowns were justified by these projections, which have turned out to, of course, be spectacularly wrong, as anyone with half a brain cell could have said from the start. But they've got the lockdown now. And then Ferguson rolls back his projection of number of deaths dramatically, but it doesn't matter because the lockdown's in. And so the livelihoods are being destroyed, which is exactly what it was all about. This, this whole pandemic is about three, three major things and lots of things uh, that are knock-on uh, 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 from that. One, destroy the livelihoods of the population so that they become dependent on the state and under the control of the state. Uh, in other words, the cult that controls the state. Two, to justify on protecting health, the creation of a Chinese-like tracking system in real time, 24-7. This is the, the contact tracing thing that's being started now through people like Apple and, um, and uh, Google, both cult companies. And um, the third one was and is to get the entire global population vaccinated with a, uh, a vaccine, which is being produced by Bill Gates. Bill Gates, who owns and controls the World Health Organization, who speaks through Tedros, and um, Bill Gates, who's um, been trying to vaccinate the world for a long time. And uh, he, this software, peddler of software, uh, is now running the World Health Policy. And uh, in that vaccine is designed to be stuff that is horrific for humanity, not least nanotechnology, for reasons that I will explain and have explained um, elsewhere in detail. Uh, So this is what the whole thing was about. So if your story that you're selling is full of holes and easy to expose, and it is, then the only way you're going to defend it and keep it intact in terms of public perception, seeing it's just credible, is to censor hysterically anybody who is uncovering and exposing it. 
And that's why they've, attacked, they've gone for me and, and other people that have exposed this stuff, because it's the only way that their narrative can survive, because it's a pack of lies. So, for instance, when two doctors in California come out, practicing doctors um, who were filmed by a local mainstream television station in uh, Bakersfield, and they were talking about the fact that the numbers of people dying from this makes no sense in terms of having lockdowns. They were talking about the chances of dying from COVID-19. I say they're nil because it doesn't exist. That's my, that's my, uh, my research. But anyway, and that's not just come from me. That's come through uh, doctors who've come to the same conclusion. But it, they were saying that the chances of dying from COVID-19 in California is about 0.03%. In New York, it's 0.1%. This is ridiculous to lock down a country. So they're pointing this out. They're also pointing out that they are being pressured to put COVID-19 on death certificates when, it, when the death is nothing to do with it, and lots of other things. So what YouTube did, because if, if they'd have got 20,000, 30,000, okay, it's not too bad. Leave it up. But it got to 5 million in a matter of days, and YouTube pulled it. And YouTube pulled it for no other reason then it was demolishing the official story. And why did YouTube pull it? Because we go back to the web. The web owns the World Health Organization, which is putting out the narrative. And it owns Google and Google owns YouTube and it owns Facebook and so on. And therefore, what YouTube, Google and Facebook have said publicly is we are going to delete any videos or posts that are at odds with the World Health Organization narrative. So you've got one arm of the cult in the web, the World Health Organization, producing the narrative, the nonsense we're asked to believe. And then you've got the cult, Facebook, YouTube, Google, etc., deleting and censoring people who are exposing the WHO narrative. This is how the web works. And they had to go. This is not. This is not these major corporations um, saying, you know, we're 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 so powerful, we're going to delete you and delete you for the sake of it. They've got no choice. Their narrative is so ridiculous and full of holes and so easy to dismantle that the only way they're going to make it survive is by hysterical levels of censorship, which is what we have. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I'd like to take a moment to talk about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know this is a huge issue in our home environment and in the world collectively. In my opinion, this is one of the greatest threats to not only human health, but all life on earth. So I've done everything I can to mitigate the EMF in my house. And I've spent so much time and energy doing so that I decided to create an entire online course for you about it. It's going to be launching in a few weeks and I'm going to give you an opportunity now to get on the wait list and save yourself $100 on the course. I created this course because I'm extremely sensitive to EMF and I found this out the hard way by living unknowingly under two massive cell towers for three years. I suffered from insomnia, migraines, blurred vision, vertigo, nausea. I was sick all the time. It was a train wreck. And as you know, if you're a listener, again, uh, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I'm very committed to my physical health and uh, 
These EMFs just wrecked me. So when I moved into this house, I made a commitment to make this house EMF free or as safe as I could. And as I started to do that, I realized, wow, this is a lot of work. So I went ahead and turned it into an online course. It's over four hours of content. There's seven modules and six bonus videos. It is extremely comprehensive and also entertaining. So we go through the house and we look at all the different sources of EMF from everything from a hairdryer to the you know, Wi-Fi enabled heater to the Sonos speakers to the Wi-Fi router, the electric toothbrush, every biohacking gadget in the house. We even tested the flicker level on the lighting. I mean, it's a really comprehensive home assessment with Brian Hoyer, uh, one of the foremost experts in EMF mitigation. And by the end of this course, you're going to know how to discover the EMF sources in your home and how to fix them. It's pretty amazing. I'm really excited about that. So if you want to save $100 off the course and get on the wait list, here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. That's lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. Or if you have a US phone, you can text the word EMF Masterclass to the number 44222. That's all one word, EMF Masterclass to the number 44222. Get on that wait list. You're going to save yourself $100 and you will be the first to be notified when the course is released in the coming weeks. And now back to the interview. Yeah, I uh, recently interviewed uh, Dr. Rashid Buttar. And uh, before the film Plandemic came out, I just called the name of the episode Plandemic and YouTube yanked the video, I'm assuming because it was flagged with that word. So I've since started phonetically spelling anything like 5G, COVID, Plandemic uh, to get by the you know the bots and so far uh, so good. But that's, that's a really uh, powerful and I think easy to understand overview of a really complex issue. And I think the, the difficulty that many people have uh, is understanding at the core of that structure, at the center of the web, as you call it, that the uh, entities in control lack empathy. And I think this is the cognitive dissonance and the Stockholm syndrome, right? Where you try to explain this to your average person, how Bill Gates is this you know, eugenicist that is on such a mad power trip that he wants to control the world population by essentially poisoning everyone with vaccines. They can't possibly imagine someone being that diabolical and lacking empathy because they're a real human with a heart that has empathy and can't imagine the point of view. Why would anyone want to do that? Why would you want to harm billions of people or, you know, take away their livelihood, as you indicated? And I think that that really is the crux of people's uh, lack of ability to consider some of these ideas is because they're not evil. And if you're not evil, it's difficult to put yourself in the mindset of those that are. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's very difficult. And I completely understand for people that have not had experience of this almost, almost unimaginable level of evil, brackets, absence of love, to contemplate that it can even exist. But of course, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've come across it constantly, so I know it exists. And what I've learned to do is to think like it does. Not in my everyday life, but when I'm working out what they're doing, you, you go into their minds and you can, you can think like they do. And in thinking like they do, you can uh, understand what they're doing. 
and what uh, why they're doing it is more obvious but how they're doing it and how their thinking works because you know i've I w- i've said a number of times recently evil is incredibly predictable fascism is incredibly predictable really predictable and if you get into these people people's minds they becoming that you see that they're incredibly predictable so if you look at um, uh, bill gates I would just say, you know, when this interview's over, just go and look at some footage of Bill Gates. Look at his eyes. There's, there's, no, there's no life. Oh, man. There's no life. There's no soul in those eyes. And there's no, on the rare occasion, it seems to me a rare occasion, he actually uh, uh, smiles with his mouth. His eyes never smile. It's, uh, it's autonomous-like. It's AI-like. You know, you've got to just look at Gates and consider that he has pressed, well, pressed on behalf of the cult, through the World Health Organization, and, you know, I mean, the financial connections between government advisors on this virus uh, policy and Gates are phenomenal, including um, Fauci and and Burks around Trump, and, uh, you know, people uh, around Boris Johnson in Britain. I mean, they're massive financial connections to Bill Gates. Um, so he's been pulling these strings uh, to get the lockdowns. And he wants the lockdowns because um, he knows it will destroy livelihoods, which is creating this control. And the other part of it is that, uh, and, and all the surveillance that will be justified, is being justified by it. But also, um, you'll hear this mantra all the time, because this is just a big psychological game. So they said at the start, part of the psychological game is is give them a bit. And then when you get there, give them another bit. I'll tell you what I mean by that. You say at first, we've got to lock down. And we've got to lock down until the, the curve flattens. Remember all that? And so the curve flattens. Oh, no. Um, no, we can't come out of lockdown because... What what we you can't come out of lockdown now because uh, not until there's a vaccine or a cure. So, oh, hold on a minute. What what happened to flattening the, the bloody curve? Now 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 we can't come out out of it fully until there's a vaccine. And and Gates comes out w- with an arrogance that is just well breathtaking, speechless natures uh, of um, arrogance, and says that. Humanity cannot go back to normalcy until the entire population is vaccinated. Now, the level of arrogance it takes to do that is is staggering, but also the level of empathy deletion it takes to do that. You know you're destroying the lives of billions of people and uh, creating economic Armageddon. You know all the the health and um, death consequences of doing that. But you do it anyway because you simply want what you want, which is to have humanity under dependency control, under surveillance control, and everyone subjected to a vaccine. Now, I would just ask people just to contemplate the level of pure, undiluted evil, absence of love, and lack of empathy it takes for Gates to do that. And if you contemplate it a bit, you'll get some feeling for the level of pure evil 
that is manipulating human society. Because anyone with a smear of empathy, compassion, could never even contemplate doing what he's done and is doing. Excellently stated. And uh, I just want to make people aware that the doctors that you're referring to and the historical precedents of a Gates and where they come from, what their motives are, and the conflicts of interest financially and uh, otherwise are readily available on your website. Uh, people that you've interviewed, featured, and also in a couple that that I've put out as well. It's like the information is there if you look. And I know people are going to hear this and go, but wait, what about, but what about, well, but it's all there. You know, I mean, the stuff that you've been doing on London Real is so extensive and those long form conversations have been really yeah. Me and many other people. So yeah, yeah. that's that's why that's why the Silicon Valley want to take them down. Yeah, you know, I, I did I did one interview within minutes of the the live stream. They pulled it. Uh, Facebook pulled it after it got a million hits. Minutes after the live stream ended of the interview, uh, already three hundred thousand were, were watching the recording, and they pulled it because it was devastating. It was devastating information for the official narrative, and thus it had to go. And uh, so that, that's what it's about. These people are not as powerful as they want us to believe. Their power is the power we give them. I will give them none of mine. And if others do the same, then they have no power. If someone comes out of White, the White House or Downing Street or somewhere and says, uh, we've had a discussion and we're going to do this. What happens if enough of the population say, we're not doing it? They don't have power. Their power is, oh, I don't like it. We better do it. It's the law. And they said so, the authorities. I think that that's the, the really important thing for people to understand here. If you just look at the sheer power of numbers, right? The amount of civilians in the world at the you know, level uh, that we are presently versus that power structure at the top. I mean, you have thousands of people versus millions, billions of people <laughs> that are under the control just because of their perception to be under control and the fear that's so ingrained in us to speak out and to act out and to defy that. I mean, you just take income tax, for example, which isn't even legal, it's a whole other conversation. If enough people in the United States went, we're not doing it, then it would cease to exist. But because only a few try and they're punished, then of course the rest of the sheep yeah. line and-, and rule. We've got a situation in Britain where the police, it would have happened around the world, but certainly in Britain, the police have uh, now have to start apologizing for fining people and imposing on uh, people's uh, um, lives on the basis of what were government recommendations. So if the government recommends you do this, the government's recommending you do this. Okay, well, I'll choose if I do it then. Uh, but what the police have been doing is um, imposing those recommendations as if they're laws, and they're not laws, they've never passed. Uh, so now they're having to give fines back to people because um, they've been imposing laws that weren't laws at all. They were just recommendations from some dark suit, and that's all they were. And, but but if, if people get informed and, and not, not just accept what they're told, then that could have been, that could have been challenged much earlier. You know, what do you, what do you mean? No, no, you're trying to impose a recommendation. Show me the law. Show me the law that you're seeking to recommend uh, uh, um, to impose. And they wouldn't be able to, so they wouldn't be able to impose it. 
And, you know, we've got to get informed. And that means looking elsewhere to other angles and other um, ways of, of looking at a situation that are not from mainstream sources. You know, the, the mainstream media globally has done nothing but repeat the World Health Organization narrative. It's not done anything else. It's all it's done. You know, we have the BBC here. It's a government department. It's just a propaganda arm of government. They never have anyone on challenging it. You know, all the abuse that's been thrown at me and all the controversy and all the furore about you know, being banned from this, banned from that, and attack this, and it's been in the mainstream media, or, you know, this Ike's done this and Ike's done that, yeah. Not one single mainstream media outlet of any kind in this entire period has even asked me for a comment, let alone had me on to debate what I'm saying. Not one. Because they are terrified. Well, the people that control them are terrified. They're just pawns in a game they don't understand. They're terrified of anyone. Um, hearing anything that is at uh, odds with the mainstream narrative, because again, I repeat, the mainstream narrative is a pack of bloody provable, easily um, unraverable, uh, uh, just invented a word, lies. And, and so censorship is all they can do to defend it. I know that we're getting close to the end of our time here, and uh, there are a couple short burning questions that uh, I wanted to ask you before you wrap up. And this one has come with uh, immense popularity from my listeners and they want to know, and I want to know, in your opinion, and I know you've been critical of Donald Trump, but because he's been so outspokenly opposed and seemingly such an outsider and has done, uh, in my opinion, what's really positive in the sense of pointing out the falsehoods um, inherent to most mainstream media outlets, is he part of the bloodlines and the this cult and the cabal that's behind all of this? Or is he truly an outsider? No, he's a big-time insider. You look at it, his, uh, his history, he comes from an insider family. I say this, you know, don't judge people by their words, but by their actions. So I'll give you an example. Elon Musk. <laughs> that was my next one, too. <laughs> Elon Musk comes out. And he says, AI could be the end of humanity. True, it's meant to be. And then starts a company called Neuralink to connect the human brain to computers. So I hear the words, Elon, and then I see the action. He's come out recently talking about lockdowns, and it seems, you know, I know supporting, I know, coming out of lockdown. But during the lockdown, and before and continuing afterwards, Elon Musk's SpaceX is putting up satellites in low orbits to beam 5G and uh, other sources of uh, Wi-Fi at the planet to create what is absolutely vital to this AI takeover, which is having what uh, the Google executive Ray Kurzweil calls the cloud covering every inch of the planet. To do that, you can only do it from, from space um, to cover every inch of the planet. And with the few hundred that he's put up so far, or it could even be less than that, 
Uh, the astronomical community is already complaining that they can't see the night sky like they did before. And uh, that, that it's obscuring the night sky and their, their astronomy. And Musk has permission already from the uh, cult-owned Federal Communications Commission, which is why 5G has been played out without any testing. He's got permission to put thousands of those satellites up. And his goal is to have 42,000 of those satellites in orbit beaming this stuff at the planet. Now, don't tell me, Mr. Musk, that you care about human freedom when you are facilitating human mega unthinkable levels of control, which is dependent upon the cloud that you are creating from space being put in place. And so I look at Trump, who is owned by Israel, lock, stock and barrels, why Israel's got everything it wants virtually since he became president. And I look at him uh, talking about this virus. And then I still see Burks and Fauci with their big financial connections to Bill Gates turning up at the press conferences. If he was going to do actions and not just words, they'd have been long gone. And he's then talking about, as he came out this week, using the military to circulate the vaccine. Now, if he's an outsider and he knows anything at all, then he'll realize that this vaccine is part of a, a process which has very, very sinister ulterior motives. I mean, you know, you don't have to look too far out of the mainstream to pick up that there is an agenda here to vaccinate the entire human population for a virus that even if you believe it exists is negligible in its effect on the vast overwhelming majority of people. And uh, I say it doesn't exist at all in the form that we're being told. And, and yet, instead of challenging that, he's saying, I'm going to uh, deploy the military to circulate the vaccine so everyone can be vaccinated. So, I, I, again, I hear the words, but I don't see the actions that reflect the words. You know, you don't get elected by telling your natural constituency what it doesn't want to hear. You get elected by telling it what it does want to hear. And there, there has been a gathering, disaffected, ever-increasing percentage of the population in America and in Britain and elsewhere, we saw its manifestation through Brexit, which shocked the system, that have been disenfranchised for decades, really, because they were not looked after or thought about by the Democratic Party, and neither were they being supported by the Republican Party, because the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, if you go one step back, are controlled by the same force. So along comes uh, Trump, because, you know, this cult is nothing if not extremely skilled in manipulating human psychology. That's the whole foundation of what it does. So along comes Trump, 
And he, he has this big potential disaffected group of people which can get him elected. And he speaks their language. And I was saying at the time that, that, you know, during the election campaign, that this guy's this guy's not what he seems to be. But I understand why lots of people went, went for it, because we come back. If I tell people what they don't want to hear, they're less likely to believe it. If I tell them what they do want to hear, they're more likely to believe it and they're more likely to support me. Uh, and so Trump spent the election campaign telling that massive group of disaffected people who felt no one represented them, and they didn't, what they wanted to hear. And he got in. But I hear the rhetoric, but don't see the actions. So um, I think people have been had by Trump, and I think that at some point they will realize that. And uh, you certainly uh, you certainly don't get the actions with the words. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's an astute observation. I think many people... Even people that have been and continue to be critical of him for obvious reasons, uh, he lacks decorum to say the least, and the cognitive dissonance of like, wait, this boss isn't like the old boss, you know, that people just exploded their heads about. But I think people that hold that kernel of faith that he might just be an outsider and this whole QAnon thing and all that. I think they're looking to him and as this sort of father figure that's going to swoop in and save the day from the globalists. When in no sense. Do you know something? There are many benefits of having done this for 30 years. And one of them is you see the recurring patterns. And for all these decades, one of the recurring patterns has been, under different names, that this group is, going, is working on the inside and they're going to come out and they're going to arrest the globalists. And it's been this name and it's been that name. And they've even given times when it's going to happen. And I sat there and I was shaking my head and I thought, been here, done that, seen it, got the T-shirt, ain't going to happen. And uh, this is just another one. Th this transformation of human society, transformation into a free society from a a, 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 an increasingly unfree society is going to be done by the population coming together and working as one to a common end, or at least great numbers of them. It's not going to come top down. It's going to come population up. Because uh, if I go back two and a half decades, probably, I use this analogy, you know, if you form a pyramid of people and people on the shoulders of the other people and you go to the top to the point and there's someone sitting there, where's the power in that pyramid? Well, it's, it's the bloke at the top. No, it's not. <laughs> He's only up there because the rest of the pyramid's holding him up there. If it wasn't, he'd be on the floor. And so if you're looking to the top of the pyramid for a top-down a top change, you ain't going to get it. It's realization that the power is not at the top. It's what we call at the bottom, but it's among the population. We're holding these people up, and we need to stop doing it, and then it's game over. Simple as that. And that's where the, the transformation will come. And um, I remain optimistic despite current events, which should make me not optimistic, but I remain optimistic that this critical mass will come. And I think that to a large extent, recent events 
have increased that number by very considerable uh, in, in very considerable terms. Yeah, it's a it's a to me the silver lining that you mentioned before is in the number of people that were on the periphery and uh, had no incentive to look further into the nature of reality and current events and are now being forced to because they've been you know jostled awake in such a jarring way that now people are coming in and going what's this guy David Ike saying and you know listening to podcasts like this where before you know they're making money they've got a home they've got a family they're living their life they're not that affected by you know the changes within government policy, et cetera. And now so many of us are being awakened. So to me, it's a positive thing. And, and thank you for, you know, alluding. Yeah, I said, I said a long time ago that this has got to get really bad before the, the real awakening comes. And it's got to break the surface. You see, what's been happening as I've been putting this information out over the years is what's now on public display, this draconian control, was operating from the shadows. And so the control wasn't quite so obvious and people still perceive that they lived in a free country. But this force that's now put itself on public display uh, was still controlling events, but from the shadows where you could see it. Uh, And so when you are operating under the radar, you can get away with it because... To most people, it's not happening. Or the fact that it's happening is just a concept, just a theory. But if you're going to transform society in the way that you want, I said this years ago, there's going to come a point where it has to break the surface where we can see it. And that's where we're at. And the shadow manipulation has to enter the world of the scene. Has to, otherwise you're not going to get to the end that you want. So um, we're now at that point, and um, it has got really bad. Unless we um, focus our, ourselves on this, it's going to get a lot worse. But it doesn't have to. That's our choice, because we are rolling them up there. And it's time we walked away and heard a bang behind us. <laughs> I love that. All right, my last question for you is one really fast one. What do you think of the Matrix films? I think they're spot on. Okay. Um, uh, spot on in the sense of the theme. I mean, this is a whole big area. I mean, I- I've been writing for a long, long time now that we live in a simulation. When I started writing and talking about it uh, around the turn of the millennium, just maybe a, just after. There was, there was basically no one talking about it. There was a guy called Nick Rostrom at uh, Oxford University who was contemplating this possibility. There's hardly anybody else. But now there's an increasing number of mainstream scientists have come out and they are convinced that we, we may well live in a form of simulation. I say it's a holographic simulation. It's what I've been saying for years. And um, uh, Rich Terrell, a NASA scientist, came out, I think it was 2017, and said that he concluded that we live in a a holographic digital simulation. And that's been my my feeling for a long time. I've written it in books. So if we, we get into the nature of reality and how we manifest reality, which is basically like a computer reads Wi-Fi, a computer 
will lock into a Wi-Fi field of what? Potentiality, information. And it will bring onto the screen what the computer is programmed to read from that field of possibility, probability, the Wi-Fi field. We're going back to how we started here. And uh, we uh, decode that field, that the computer does. I've been calling since the 1990s the body, a biological computer. We read that field and we do it through the five senses. The five senses take waveform information, think Wi-Fi. They turn it into electrical information, which they communicate to the brain. And the brain turns that electrical information into digital holographic information. So the world that we think is outside of us, in the form that we experience it, is actually in here. And uh, the Matrix movies symbolize that. Uh, if you notice, the, the probe went into the back of the brain, the brainstem, that's where the reptilian brain is. And um, that locked them in to the Matrix. Uh, and um, the Matrix is a, a holographic, illusory world, which um, we believe is real. And, um, you know, this is, you know, the cutting edge of science where people do have a sense of wanting to discover instead of just singing from the song sheet like most of them are seeing that we do actually live in a holographic reality and a holographic reality is illusory physical it's not solid at all this is why quantum physics has shown that the world actually at that quantum level is not solid well it's not solid at any level we just experience it like that you know if you if you were a, a computer game character in a virtual reality computer game, uh, you would experience that game as solid, even though it's just codes being decoded by the machine. And um, this world is just information in a waveform, Wi-Fi type form that we are decoding into this holographic reality, which only exists in this form, exists in its information form, in a waveform level, but only exists in this form that we perceive as solid and physical in here. And that takes us deeper into why and how our perceptions create our reality. Because our perceptions are dictating how we decode that information into a physical experience. Our perceptions dictate that. So going back to how we started, little me will decode that as a little me holographic experience. And it will not decode from the Wi-Fi field big me experiences because it doesn't perceive there are any for it. Expand your consciousness and you create a different reality because you're allowing more of that field of possibility into your decoding processes. And thus you can decode a, an experience that is uh, much more expansive than someone who thinks they're little me. And to controllers. And thus, to control what we create as an experience in the holographic realm, they need to keep us in a sense of little me as much as they can, and I have no power. They've not managed it with me, and they're going to see that because um, I ain't leaving here until their control is um, dramatically diminished. To what degree was that perspective of awareness uh, assisted by your 2003 ayahuasca experiences? Was this something that you had tapped into before or was it alluded to then or your, your perception of it um, increased by that experience? Well, I tapped into it 
But at what level do you tap into it? You know, you tap into it on a level of, I, I feel this is what, how it is. And then I did the ayahuasca experience, which is the only time I ever have over two days in a rainforest in Brazil. Uh, it's the only time I've taken psychoactive drugs. And um, for uh, five hours on the second night, um, I went into an altered state. And some people have really bad experiences on, on ayahuasca, by the way. I think it takes you to where you already are, but on another level. And um, a female voice for me took, spoke to me for five hours about the illusory nature of reality. It was extraordinary, extraordinary experience, explaining that the world's an illusion, just like the Matrix movies. You never mentioned the Matrix movies, but that's what it was describing, that um, illusory reality we think is real. And I came back. Um, from Brazil and started uh, um, researching, you know, the different disciplines of mainstream science and I, especially quantum physics. And I realized that um, they already re they already knew that um, reality, physical reality, was illusory. But most of the disciplines just cracked on and um, had to acknowledge quantum physics existed, but in their everyday discipline, cracked on as if it didn't exist as if everything was real and solid and all the rest of it. But if you connect the dots, even within mainstream science, the information's there to show that the world's not solid and, uh, and supporting this whole holographic illusory reality I'm talking about. So, uh, yes, it was, um, it was uh, an amazing experience. But the information has come from enormous different directions and sources over the years, and, and I've just fitted it together. And it's turning out to be um, extraordinarily accurate with the passage of time and events, or what we call time. Certainly. Well, in closing, Mr. David Icke, I want to ask you my last question, and that is, who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life that we might be able to go learn more from? I wouldn't say any. I would say an amalgamation of strands from enormous numbers of different sources. So no, no one, nobody in particular, uh, no source in particular, but lots of them, and all have given me a little bit in the puzzle. And the trick is then to, to put that together with all the other little bits and come to the conclusion of the whole. But this has been the filter. When I've come across information, people who have experienced it will understand what I'm saying. But this tells you what's right and what's not. I had a, a guy came up to me in America many years ago now. And he was an insider who was, you know, someone who was um, on the inside or had been on the inside and was trying to do something about it. And he said to me, um, you've quoted some disinformers in your books. I said, oh, yeah. He said, but you've only quoted the bits that are true. How do you do that? Because uh, disinforming uh, is not, 100% wrong, that you'd suss that quick. It's a lot of truth, and then they twist it to deceive you and take you off in another direction. So you, get, you can get a lot of truth from disinformers as long as you know where the twist is coming. And I, I, I said to him, very simple, this tells me. And anyone can do it. I'm not, I'm not here claiming to be some, you know, some guru. Anyone can do it. You can, you can teach yourself. It's a feeling. It's a vibe. Yes, and ooh, no, 
Uh, and uh, it, it, you can become really sensitive with it so that you can weave your way through the, through the maze without keeping going down cul-de-sacs. Because this is what that, this, if you're only coming from here, you'll go down the cul-de-sacs in the maze and come to a dead end. But if you go with this, you can weave your way through the blocks and the diversions and find your way out. And uh, this is the way home. And it's also the way to uncover what's going on in the world. Um, if I'd only got done with this, especially the left side of this, then I'd be uh, nowhere near of produced the information and the books that I have. This is the, the sensor and uh, not censorship, but the sensor that, for me, picks up what's genuine and what isn't. Excellent. And for those listening on audio only, when he's referring to this and this, he's referring to his head or heart, just for clarity, uh, for those that don't see it on video. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I think that's a great way to sum up the episode and, uh, you know, your framework of understanding. And I, you know, I just appreciate the work that you're doing and the courage that it's taken to put out such contrarian points of view for so long uh, and to withstand the degree of ridicule and um and uh condemnation from you know the powers that be and many that are um less open-minded than the folks listening to this so appreciate the work you're doing uh and hope to continue observing and learning from it and i'd like to send people to whatever websites or social media they can find more of your uh content i'm still on twitter <laughs> hanging on by my fingernails you're right, you're uh, on instagram too you still yeah uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I have, yeah. And um, the two websites are davidlike.com, where there's news in context every day, the world in context, as, as opposed to what the mainstream media will give you. Uh, at the moment, we've got a temporary main page. But if people go to the different UK news, U US news, etc., they'll find loads of information. I guess um, we're just in the process of moving to a, a, a bells and whistles new website, which will be up in about a week or so. Uh, with a lot more protection from attacks. And there's Iconic. Iconic is um, a media platform that uh, we've created and my son Jamie's created in, I think, started about November. And uh, there's already one in excess of 700 videos on it being added to all the time. I do a 90-minute look at the week's news in context on it every Friday. And all my previous... Well, you know, throughout this 30 years, all my major presentations, some of them like 10 hours long, are all on there. And uh, we have series and documentaries. There's a, a, a documentary going to come out pretty soon on Iconic called Unnatural, which is all about the electromagnetic um, 5G and uh, its impact upon society and health and psychology and so i'm you know i'm delighted with, with with the way it's turned out now people can go to iconic and they can have a seven-day trial just have a look for seven days and see what they think and um the vast majority of the ridiculous majority really that do that do sign up but you know davidike.com just go there i really like the idea of what you're doing with iconic and i think as we were discussing earlier those that <laughs> have the desire to create the content and those that consume it in a way that's unfiltered and unedited, that's going to grow and grow. And again, as we were saying earlier, the silver lining of this draconian censorship is that now 
people that are somewhat awake and savvy and want freedom of information are going to build platforms, create platforms like you've done. So I definitely encourage yeah, I mean, what happened um, at the time that um, one of my London Real interviews was uh, pulled is that um, out of nowhere, Vimeo deleted the entire content of Iconic, over 700 videos. Obviously, we had them backed up. And you know we were like two weeks away from having our own player. So we uh, pulled that forward. We've got our own player now, which is uh, on Iconic, which is independent of these giants. And um, Jamie and uh, the team, night and day, for about three days or so, uh, literally night and day, uh, put the videos back, which is what you have to do. And funny enough, the, the real reason that we um, started Iconic in the first place was it was obvious where this was going. And so we wanted our own platform with our own player, which we have now, that would be there no matter you know the level of censorship that we uh, were going to be subjected to, because it was obvious it was coming. And only a few months later, we're in a situation where um, where we're there, where the, the major platforms have, have deleted us. But um, Iconic's still there, davidlight.com's uh, still there. And I've got a book coming out, which um, is coming out in August, and it's called The Answer. And it's in detail, a lot of things have been talked about tonight, and much more, far more uh, much, much more. And uh, funny enough, 85% of it was written before the lockdowns and the whole thing kicked in. And I've done two chapters on this whole story, which is uh, devastating in terms of the way it, it demolishes the official story. But it's amazing how uh, what the first 85% of the book said the plan was and where it was planned to go, the, the pandemic hoax has given them almost everything that they want. But it's called the answer because there is an answer. And, um, if I'd have chosen a time for this book to come out, again, synchronistically, I'd, you know, didn't choose it for this reason. But if I'd have chosen a time for it to come come out, it would be when it's coming out because um, it's absolutely when it's needed. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing that work. And we'll put all of the links you just mentioned in the show notes. And uh, with that, my friend, I'm going to bid you farewell. Thank you for your time. Okay. And I look forward to chatting again. Nice to talk to you. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining me and our guest, David Icke, on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm guessing that right about now, your head is spinning off your shoulders. You're going, wait, what? The world is what? And I understand. I'd like to encourage you to keep an open mind and an open heart and use your own gut and intuition and discernment to arrive at your own conclusions. You know, so much information these days is force fed to us. And I think it's really important that each and every one of us starts to build our own internal guidance system and work through that cognitive dissonance that we've developed. Many of the things that we discover as we go down the rabbit hole are not pleasing to hear. And much of the information in this conversation probably landed that way for you. So I'd like to encourage you to continue with your research of all forms of alternative media, not the least of which being go to David Icke's site and look up some of his research and uh, especially the older stuff. You know, to me, I'm just shocked. Uh, well, kind of not, um, but <laughs> uh, surprised, uh, let's say, when I hear him talk about things he was talking about 20, 30 years ago. 
and they're happening right now. It's it's really quite amazing. Uh, but when it comes to claims of who's doing what in the government and this and that and all of the stuff that people call conspiracy theories, um, you know, there are theories and then there are also conspiracies. And uh, I encourage you, if you're so inclined to be an analyst, not a theorist, be an analyst. Like really look for the facts, look for the research, look for historical relevance. And uh, you can find a lot of that if you dig into David's work. You know, the experts and videos that he was speaking about in this conversation are all on his website. So this isn't stuff that's just coming out of thin air. Uh, You can go there and check it out for yourself. So I, you know, I just, I don't, you know, this lane is kind of a new lane for me. So I just want to, um, you know, kind of give my input on what I think might be most useful, especially if you're super triggered and you're going like, wait, what? My whole worldview just got shattered. (laughs) Uh, I think that's a perfect opportunity to start exploring um, some alternative points of view. Anyway, most of all, I just want to thank you for joining me. We live in a crazy freaking world right now, man. And we've all just have to stick together. And I really love Ike's message of just unconditional love. And to some people that sounds like spiritual bypass. Uh, to me, it has nothing to do with bypassing hard truths. It means facing those hard truths and still responding with love and unity. So uh, thank you for exploring this conversation with us. And I would love for you to explore the upcoming online class I have called the EMF Masterclass. You can get on the wait list and save yourself a hundred bucks on this course. And it is quite a course, let me tell you by going to lukestory.com forward slash EMF masterclass. Or if you have a US phone, you can text the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222. So right now, if you're listening on your phone, just get your text app out, put in the number 44222, and all one word in the body of the text, EMF masterclass, click send. And you're going to text me and I'm going to ask for your name and email. And I'm going to send you the EMF Masterclass when it comes out in the next few weeks, along with a $100 off code. If you want to use a browser, again, go to lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. This thing is incredible. It's over four hours of content. It's going to teach you literally everything you need to know about the EMF exposure in your home, how to fix it, how to find it. It is badass. That's lukestory.com forward slash EMF Masterclass. I'd also like to thank our official sponsors, Blue Box. If you want to protect your eyes, your melatonin, your brain, when it gets dark, you want to be throwing on some Blue Blocks eyewear for sure. You can find that at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. And you can save yourself a cool 15% off over there by entering the code LIFESTYLIST. Then uh, let's give a shout out to our friends over at Cured Nutrition. The code there is also LIFESTYLIST to save you 15 off. Cured Nutrition makes some great nootropic products made with medicinal mushrooms and various adaptogenic herbs, etc. They throw a little CBD in there. They've got a great daytime formula that acts as a nootropic and an evening formula that helps you sleep. That's Cured Nutrition. Now, you can find all of the products that I plug on the show at my store, which is lukestory.com forward slash store. It's a great way to support the work here at the podcast helps to pay for production and the team and all the things that are required to make high quality content like I hope this was received as. So I think that's all the uh, the plugin I got to do. Oh, no, it's not. My bad. I got one more for you. Uh, this Sunday, we've got a bonus rebroadcast episode of my recent appearance on a podcast called This Might Get Uncomfortable. And trust me, my friends, it does. Then Tuesday, back to our regular programming 
peyote powers and desert dreams with two amazing shaman friends of mine that I've sat with a number of times in ceremony. And we explore specifically and uh, very deeply the magic of peyote. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. You realize that's the trick, right? Uh, I have people always DM me and they're like, wait, this episode disappeared. And sometimes my shows do get censored off certain platforms because evil people control those platforms. But uh, most of the time, it's just because they're not subscribed to the podcast. And so they have to individually download the episodes that they want. However, if you just click subscribe on your podcast player right now, seriously, right now, just do it. Why not? Uh, then each and every week, or in some cases, uh, twice a week. In fact, this week, there's three episodes, including this one. Uh, they'll just be magically downloaded to your device or computer. So subscribe to the show. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or were at least intrigued by it, please share it with some friends. You know, um, as, as David uh, described in the interview, he's being censored far and wide and doesn't seem to bother him. He's just going to keep charging ahead. But uh, I don't know that I'm quite that confident. So, uh, you know, I'm doing my best to hang in there. I've got a couple of my videos deleted off YouTube because I dared to ask questions about official narratives. And I guess you're not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, so I'm, of course, you know, seeking other uh, means by which to get my content out. But uh, one of the ways that you can help us get around the censors and share information freely, as is our basic fundamental human right, by the way, is by sharing it with some friends, text it to them, email, put it on your social media, etc. I don't think we said anything too terribly controversial in this particular conversation. Uh, I think it was mostly positive, uh, personally. So if you felt the same way, please share it with a friend. And uh, I can't wait to keep cranking out more episodes for you in the near future. So thanks again, and I'll see you next time.